everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm Kerry Parker, your host, as always, and we've got a wonderful interview for you today. We're going to be talking about ransomware. This is probably something you've seen on the news. We're going to be talking with a gentleman by the name of Alan Liska. He comes from Recorded Future, and uh, he's kind of a hacker security guy, and uh, he definitely knows his stuff when it comes to ransomware. So we're going to talk about what it is, how you get it, how you uh, prevent, <laughs> how do you prevent yourself from getting it, and you know, God forbid, if you do get it, what do you do about that? Ransomware has gotten really popular in the last few years. We're going to talk about why that is as well. Uh, and it's 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 popular because it works and it makes uh, makes the bad guys money. Uh, that's pretty much the bottom line. So in just a minute, we're going to talk to Alan about that topic and dive in. Uh, but before I wanted to mention, I usually don't mix the news and interview shows, but I do want to bring up one topic that uh, that's gotten a lot of really big press. And uh, that was the Bloomberg article about how supposedly uh, Chinese manufacturers have managed to put these tiny little chips into all of our computers. That means that they're all compromised, uh, including computers from Apple and Amazon and uh, other companies. And it's really gotten a lot of press. And I don't know how much of the responses from Apple and Amazon and from security researchers have made it, you know, out into the public along with those stories. And this is a developing story. Apple and Amazon have strenuously denied that this is the case. They say that the article is completely wrong, basically. And uh, so it's not one of those kind of non-denial denial things where it kind of leaves wiggle room where, you know, they're parsing words and that sort of thing. They're, they are pretty strenuous denials. So uh, my advice is just to let this play out. We will certainly talk about it on the show at some point in the future. So uh, it remains to be seen what's really going on here. Don't, you know, the sky is not necessarily falling yet. So just hold off on this a little bit. Let's let, uh, you know, the security folks take a look at this and figure out what's really behind this story. And I think we'll get a little more clarity on this uh, in the weeks to come. All right, and with that little caveat out of the way, let's uh, dive into our interview with Alan Liska all about ransomware. All right, with us today is Alan Liska. Alan's an intelligence analyst at Recorded Future with more than 15 years' experience in information security as both a blue teamer and a red teamer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And now Alan's here today to tell us all about ransomware, uh, what it is, where it comes from and what we can do about it. But first, I've got to ask for the benefit of the audience. Explain what a red teamer is, what a blue teamer is. Sure. So uh, red teamers are the people that try to attack your network. Um, ideally, the people that are authorized to try and attack <laughs> your network um, and see what the holes are, see what the... Uh, see where they can break into the network. And the blue teamers are the people who are responsible for protecting the network, so keeping it safe. Generally, they're the ones that are manning the SOC, they're part of your security team, etc. cetera. Um, so I've had experience on both ends, trying to break into networks and then trying to defend networks. Yeah, of course. And then, you know, when, when you're whenever you're doing some kind of security stuff, you've always got to try to get put yourself in the in the in the role of the bad guy, you know, and try to figure out how they would attack things and look at it from that perspective. So yeah. So thanks. Yeah, that's that's thanks for the explanation because I'm sure most of my audience has no idea what those terms mean. <laughs> uh, now, what we have to we have talked about ransomware on the show before, and I've brought it up multiple times. Usually, as there's been some outbreak of some particular kind, uh, so they they're familiar with it. But just for the for the sake of um, you know, uh, refreshing our memories. Uh, tell us a little bit about what ransomware is, what that term means, how it's, you know, how that's distinguished as a particular type of malware. 
Uh, and if you if you can, like you know, tell us how it became so popular. Like, give us maybe a little background on where on where this came from, because that's kind of a recent phenomenon, it seems. Well, it, it's interesting because ransomware has actually been around since the '90s, um, so it's been around for a long time. Successful ransomware, you are correct, is recent. Um, so there there are two kinds of ransomware that that we talk about. There is the crypto ransomware, which is the kind that everybody mostly knows about, and that's where the files on your system are encrypted, you pay the bad guy money, and then there's also blocker ransomware, and that's ransomware that blocks access to your system. We see a lot of that when mobile devices. So mm-hmm. you know, somebody downloads an app from the app store, it turns out to be a bad app, uh, and it blocks access to your phone, um, until you put in some iTunes gift cards or Amazon gift cards or whatever. Um, so those are really the two kinds of, of ransomware. Um, and then to, to your second point, why it becomes so popular is because it made people money. Um, it, it, you know, if you're going to make a lot of money doing this, that's really, you know, that, that's going to encourage more and more people to get into a business. It's a sort of a, a, a confluence with the rise of cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before in the 90s, your options were to PayPal or Western Union or some other traditional uh, banking mechanism for getting the money from the victim to the attacker. The problem is with using traditional banking systems, all of those transactions can be reversed. So you, you know, the files become unencrypted. You cancel the transaction. The money gets, you know, pulled back into your account. Hmm. That guy doesn't do anything. So it's not very profitable. When cryptocurrency came out, and specifically Bitcoin, which kicked everything off and kicked off sort of the rise of, uh, of the second generation of ransomware. Um, what you saw was you saw these essentially untraceable transactions. Now, that's not entirely true. There are ways mm-hmm. of doing some forensic analysis, and, and the FBI and the Secret Service um, have been able to track down some, some of these ransomware attackers by monitoring Bitcoin transactions. You know, it turns out that if you're going to use a cryptocurrency, you also have to have a good idea of how to launder money effectively, <laughs> and not all the bad guys had that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, the, the sort of these two kind of came together. So you had the cryptocurrency, which allowed for these, what were, for the most part, anonymous transactions, which meant that the bad guys could encrypt the systems, lock the files, get paid, and actually keep the money. And they turns out they got paid a lot of money, especially when they hit a business versus mm-hmm. you know, hitting a, a, a home user. For a home user, you get three or four hundred bucks a pop, um, but you know, for a business, you could get fifty thousand dollars for mm-hmm. uh, if you landed in the right business. Yeah, so then it probably comes down to volume versus you know price versus volume. You know, a couple of high value targets versus spreading it out and maybe get you know getting a whole bunch of people at three hundred bucks versus getting one or two people at fifty fifty grand. That's exactly right. So the Lockheed campaign, which was one of the most successful in two thousand sixteen. At the height of their campaign, they were sending out 10 million spam emails a month. Wow. You figure even if you're only hitting 0.01% <laughs> of that, you're still bringing in a couple million dollars a year in, in ransom. Wow. 
So it's gotten more popular, as you say, with the rise of the Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies uh, because it makes it easier for the bad guys to get paid. Uh, so what does that curve look like? What, when did this really start to ramp up? What, what's the, the incidence of ransomware look like over the last few years? So probably in 2014 is when it really started to ramp up and it went really fast um, through 2014, 15, 16, and probably in the first half of 2017. Then that what we call the second generation of ransomware, which are your lockies, your servers, the, the, the ransomware that's distributed indiscriminately started to die off pretty quickly. And that's primarily because the security industry caught up with how these ransomware uh, families were being delivered, the tools they were using, etc. So they were able to stop them before they would go, uh, before they could cause damage, before they could get to the end user. So if you're a home user, you actually saw a lot of, uh, you saw a big drop off in ransomware even, even earlier than that because Google and uh, Microsoft uh, and Yahoo would put protections in place uh, in, in, you know, to automatically flag these uh, spam emails as, as, as spam, and the end user would never see them. Mm. So you wouldn't get that invoice that said, please open, you need to pay this now, or we'll shut off your thing, or you know, open this up because it's an FBI document, or all, mm. the, all, all the, the sort of generic things that they were using, none of those ever made it to the end user. We were still seeing a lot of these type of ransomware hit the small business and the medium business simply because they didn't have the, the same kind of accounts, uh, essentially. So they'd get through those mail filters, but then you know, all of your endpoint agents started catching up and blocking them. And that, that slowed that down fairly significantly. Gotcha. Uh, so, all right. So to be clear, that uh, to explain what this is, it's like the analogy I like to use is it's like a burglar comes into your house and instead of stealing your goods, he puts them in a safe in the middle of your living room and, <laughs> and leaves a note and says, if you want your stuff back, you know, send me money to the stress and I'll send you the combination because you actually have not lost your files if they've done it right. I mean, some of them are actually malicious probably and delete them, but or they're incompetent and they don't know how to get them back. But More if they, than a second. That's correct. <laughs> But if they do it right, so, you know, it's the kind of thing where you still have, you're technically in possession of your files, you just, they're unusable. So, uh, it, again, it's like, you've got this, you're sitting there, look at the vault, you know your, your stuff's in there, you just can't get to it until you pay for the combination. Exactly. That's correct. So, who are the primary targets here? You talked a little bit about uh, how it's been shifting a little bit from maybe mom and pops or everyday people to businesses. But, you know, what's, what's the spread look like right now compared to, you know, the everyday person at home versus maybe small businesses or regular or even big businesses and maybe government agencies as well? What's, what, what's the, what are the attack? Uh, who's getting attacked right now? The, um, there's still a couple of strains of ransomware that are indiscriminately targeting everybody. Primarily, we see GANCRAB with that, uh, that is still distributed through that model. Uh, it's very, that's very much in the minority now. We sort of have a third generation of ransomware now that the, the SamSam group, the BitPamer, um, and, and one or two others that are much more targeted. Uh, now, they're not targeted in the way that they say I'm going after this organization um, and I'm going to infect them with ransomware. Instead, what they do is they run scans for certain vulnerabilities that they can exploit to gain access to a network. 
Uh, and if it's the right kind of network, they will use those exploits. They'll gain access and they'll deploy the ransomware that way. And those uh, th those uh, organizations uh, or th those bad guys tend to target certain organizations, healthcare, state and local government tend to be big targets, ports are big targets, hmm. basically anything where a disruption in service um, will result in uh, headlines. So it's in the best interest of that organization to pay the ransom. Gotcha. So how much money are we talking here? Like how successful have these things been? What are some of the, what are some of the paydays that we do? And then how do we know what they're actually, how, we, how do we know how much they've made from these things? Uh, so the, um, you take a uh, bid paymer, um, according to Sophos, uh, bid paymer bought in two and a half million dollars last year. So the, there's a group behind there. We think it's about four or five people. Um, but we may be wrong about that. These groups tend to be kind of fluid. Uh, but they bought in two and a half million dollars based on tracking Bitcoin transactions. Hmm. Not an exact science, but that's what it appears to be. Generally, when you're talking a business, the, um, the, the, the ransom payment is somewhere between 50 and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, so um, and with a business, that's also a negotiable number. So hmm. if you hit mom and pop shop with a fifty thousand dollar ransom, a lot of these bad guys, they have chat rooms. You can say, hey, you hit me. You asked me for a $50,000 ransom. That's, there's no way I can do that. And they'll come back and say, okay, how about $1,000 or something like that? You know, so so you, can, you can actually negotiate with the bad guys. Um, I, I know you're not supposed to negotiate with terrorists, but uh, – <laughs> So you, you touched on this a little bit too, and I, I wanted to ask who is behind these attacks? Is it, is it, are we talking, is this nation state actors at this point or is this, you know, run of the mill hacker groups or both? It's actually both. Um, it's a really interesting time that we live in right now. So what we're used to seeing, we're used to living in a world where, Ooh, you have scary nation state hackers. There's nothing we can do to stop, you know, protect ourselves against them because, they're really uh, super sleuthy hackers or, or whatever. And then you have cyber criminals, and they're kind of – they're more lucky than anything else. But we actually see a little bit of a convergence of these uh, uh, capabilities. So with the third generation of ransomware, there, it's primarily cyber criminals that are engaged in the activity. However, they're using a lot of nation-state techniques. Hmm. So they're, they're, they're getting into a network and they're sitting in a network for a month or two before they actually launch the ransomware attack so they can understand how to inflict maximum damage. Hmm. On the other hand, we're also seeing North Korea launch ransomware attacks. So WannaCry was a, was a ransomware was, – was launched by North Korea. That was a ransomware attack. Now, that was more of a destruction attack than a ransomware attack. But there are other North Korean actors that are, as far as we know, working for the government that are launching phishing-type account uh, 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 ransomware attacks. And the reason is, and, and I expect we'll see this with more heavily sanctioned states, is it's really hard to get money into North Korea legitimately. Mm. So you have to turn to these criminal enterprises, and ransomware is one of the ways to do it. So if if North Korea can make money from uh, uh, Bitcoin um, through ransomware attacks, 
they're going to launch more campaigns. If Iran, which is heavily sanctioned, can make money through uh, ransomware attacks, they're going to launch ransomware attacks because they can get that money in. So we are seeing now nation states adopt what were traditional cyber criminal activities or engage in what were traditionally cyber criminal activities because it's a way for them to make money. Interesting. Okay, so let's get practical. How does how does one get infected with ransomware? And how do you know you've been infected? Maybe it's obvious, but um, walk us through that. Sure. So the, the, the it depends on the type of ransomware. Um, the, again, the sort of the traditional phase two ransomware, which is still out there, is you open up an email um, and it's got an office document or a PDF in it generally says something like you need to pay this invoice it's 90 days late something along those lines you open it up and inside that document is a script maybe a javascript maybe a powershell script that executes it pulls down the actual ransomware from a command and control server it runs on your system and then you know that you've been infected because you get a nice little pop-up window that says hey you've been infected by ransomware if you want to get your files back pay me this amount of money in Bitcoin or Monero or whatever the preferred cryptocurrency is. Um, now, if you're talking about these sort of stage three ransomwares, the ones that kind of hang out in your network for a while, those are manually executed. So what happens is the bad guys get into your network through whatever means they get in, an open remote desktop protocol server, so one of Microsoft's, uh, 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 remote access systems mm -hmm. or uh, uh, you know an open uh, server of some kind, whatever vulnerability they exploit, they get into the organization and then they monitor to see what's going on. This is what happened in the city of Atlanta. To the mm -hmm. best of our knowledge, they were in the city, the Samsam group was in the city of Atlanta for at least a month before they deployed the ransomware. And what they were doing is they were getting network maps they were scanning the network. They were understanding which systems were the most vulnerable. And then when they deployed their ransomware, they employed it, deployed it on multiple systems at the same time in a manner that was going to disrupt the uh, city of Atlanta uh, in the most spectacular way fashionable. <laughs> right, right? So, that, so that the city of Atlanta would know that they were under attack and that their, the files that were being encrypted were ones that were needed to run operations. So essentially, they were going to have to shut down. So what became of that? I, I remember seeing headlines about that, but I don't recall how that sh shook out. What what became of that? Well, so they uh, the Samsung Group asked for a ransom of $51,000. To the best of our knowledge, Atlanta never paid. They said they weren't going to pay, um, and we assume they didn't. However, uh, they spent almost $10 million on cleanup. Mm. And, and when I say they spent almost $10 million, taxpayers spent almost $10 million <laughs> on cleanup. Um, so now understand, even if they had paid the ransom, they still would have had to pay a good amount of money on cleanup simply because the, they had, the same, same group had been in the network of the city of Atlanta for so long that you don't know how many systems they had been on. You would have had to do a sort of a forensic analysis understand where how they got in what systems they hit and kind of follow that traffic through it probably would not have been a 10 million dollar cost but it still would have been a pretty pricey number uh to do the cleanup after that 
And I guess you'd have to assume that just uh, that they they could have been doing more than just disrupting you. I mean, at, at that point, they could have been exfiltrating data as well, and who knows what you know what, what they could do with that. Also, right? It's not just it's not just that they're disrupting your system or locking your files. They they could have copied out a lot of those files too, right? Right, exactly. So we don't know, and, and we, I don't have any special insight. We don't know whether or not they pulled a bunch of files off, pulled a bunch of PII data for uh, pers- personally identifiable information. Um, so there could have been a lot more that was done that we don't know about uh, during the month that they were inside. Because a month is a really long time. You can exfiltrate a whole lot of data at, at that point. So for the home user, if, it, if they get infected, at that point, it, your, your computer is unusable. It's All you see is the screen and until you pay the money or if you pay the money, then there's nothing you can do. You can't use the computer at all at that point. Well, you can. So the way ransomware works is it encrypts certain files. So it goes and looks at the files, generally the files that are most important to your to, to your life. So your your images, your uh, office documents, uh, and and maybe some system files, um, all get in uh, all get encrypted. But you can still do things like browse the web. So you can go to websites and and stuff like that. For some reason, you decide you're going to pay the ransom. Uh, you're going to need a yep. web browser in order to go get uh, your Bitcoin to pay the ransom. All right. So, how do you protect yourself against ransomware? The big, the, the big question is: it is it antivirus software? Are there just best practices? What What do you recommend for people to do to avoid this problem? So, if you are a home user, generally speaking make sure you have an antivirus program and make sure it's up to date. Uh, that's the biggest thing that I see is a lot of people will have antivirus program that came with the computer. Come Time comes for renewal. They don't bother to renew it, and they're missing out on some of the signatures or some of the latest capabilities. I know it's a pain, but that, that helps a lot. Um, and then just you know, be wary of attachments from people that you don't know. Um, or even people that you do know. Uh, some of the things that you can absolutely do, disable macros on uh, uh, for your Microsoft Office. Generally speaking, I don't like anybody that uses macros in Office documents mm-hmm. anyway. So you know, just disable that because a lot of these pieces of malware don't actually exploit anything other than the human. Um, <laughs> they just take advantage of some of the advanced capabilities that are built into office macros and so if you have those disabled then you'll you'll uh you'll be um you'll be a lot safer make sure that you're keeping your applications up to date make sure your browser's up to date when you get that little red check mark saying that you need to do updates go ahead and do the update um uh same thing with if you're if you have adobe acrobat uh, make sure that that is up to date if you have adobe flash just uninstall it and <laughs> yep don't ever, ever run that again. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a, those kind of things will keep you safe, and, and they're not hard to do. I, they're, they're kind of a pain because Microsoft always seems to want to update at the most inopportune oh, time. Yeah. Um, but keeping your system up to date is the best way to protect yourself, and then just awareness of what when things look weird. When somebody's demanding money from an invoice, when somebody sends you an Excel spreadsheet, uh, you know, unless you get those all the time, it's probably unusual that somebody sent you an Excel spreadsheet. 
Yeah, I've always heard basically if don't open anything that you didn't explicitly ask for or were expecting. Um, and in my case, I don't even open it if I did ask for. <laughs> so you mentioned antivirus software, and there's there's a lot of um, I think controversy currently in the security community about the effectiveness of antivirus software today. I think back in the day, it was kind of uh, it was it was taken for granted it was good. And it was probably true, but it seems like things are shifting so quickly that even with you know like heuristics based. Uh, antivirus software that's not, you know, in the old days, it would actually be looking for patterns that it recognized from before, and, and that worked. But things shift so much today that I'll, I don't think that works. So they've shifted these kind of heuristic things where they're looking for behavior that looks uh, suspicious. Are, uh, what do you, what's your take on that? And then if, what would you recommend to uh, an average Windows or average Mac user uh, for an AV product? Right. So I don't have one that I particularly recommend. You know, I mean, I love Carbon Black and I love Sentinel One and some of these sort of advanced endpoint protections, but they don't make those available for the consumer. Mm. Um, the what I like is, and, and you're exactly right. Signature-based detection isn't going to help you with ransomware because the, you know in the attack scenario I described, Microsoft Office is allowed to run, uh, macros are allowed to run. PowerShell is allowed to run. So the first four stages of your attack, the delivery, uh, the execution through the PowerShell, all of those are going to slip by traditional signature-based detection because they're all legitimate programs that are able to run. So you have one more shot left, and that shot is that executable that's going to run and try to encrypt. So what you want to look for is you want to look for an antivirus program that is also going to do things like look for uh, scripts um, that are running. So most home users don't run PowerShell on their system. Most home users don't execute JavaScript on their system. They, it, if they do execute it, it's in the browser, and that's completely different because that is uh, you know, client-side execution versus something that's happening directly uh, on your system. Um, so you want something like a Symantec, a McAfee, a Trend Micro, a Kaspersky that will, um, that will look for those type of scripting actions and stop that. Okay. Uh, so what about things like uh, backing up your files? If, if you've got a full backup of your system, then when this happens, ideally you would just laugh it off and you know, reinstall your system or re or, or back up, re back up your files and you're back to normal. Right. If, and I don't know how practical it is. That's the ideal. Uh, and then there's local versus cloud. Um, so talk to us about, um, uh, about maybe that as a, as a protection mechanism and, and, and how you might use that. Sure. So, uh, cloud, uh, so one thing to be really careful of is Whatever backup mechanism you use, make sure it's disconnected from your system because otherwise most most ransomware looks for these uh, you know looks for attached storage and encrypts the files on there as well. Hmm. Um, so I, I'm good with either so like locally uh, we run all Apple in our system, so we use time machine in our local network. Um, and that's great because it you know it backs up uh, by itself automatically every couple of hours um, and 
uh, it's sitting in another network that you, another system that you can't automatically connect to from this system. So I like if you're going to do a local network, something that you can connect to over Wi-Fi, but is not a, uh, is, doesn't show up as a drive on your system. Hmm. Yep. That makes Um, sense. And then same thing with the backups. Dropbox is great. Other types of cloud services are fantastic for protection. And some of these backup services, I know Dropbox does, and I think there are a few others that do as well, actually have ransomware protection built in to their service. So in other words, they won't let a third-party application encrypt the files that are backed up on their system. So I love those because they're easy. And they are also compensating for any mistakes you may make in configuration. So you brought up Mac and you, uh, versus PC. So let's go there. Uh, do you have any, you know, words of wisdom for somebody maybe looking to upgrade their computer or get a new computer if if they're looking for something that's going to be safer? Uh, do you do you have a recommendation of Mac versus a PC? And as a follow up, are are Apple and Microsoft actually finally starting to? I mean, are they building protections into our systems for these things? I, I remember reading once that um, I, I can't remember who it was. Oh, well, for instance, I know Windows 10 now has the protected folder thing where they only let certain applications modify like your documents folder, which uh, which would hopefully protect against things like this. And other systems, I uh, think there's a th- tool called Ransomware, W-H-E-R-E, uh, Patrick Wardle. Uh, great stuff at Objective C. I think it wrote that, and you know, where I, I guess they're looking for something trying to do mass encryption of files, and it trips some trigger that stops it. it what what kind of things might we be able to build into our operating systems? And and do you prefer a Mac versus a PC in this in this area? So, I, I really don't want to get in the middle of a Mac PC. <laughs> My personal preference is Macs, but I love Macs because I love working from the command line on things. Mm. Uh, um, I will say that. That while there have been ransomware variants that target Macs, they all start as fake apps. Um, so, in other words, if you go to a website, click on a bad link or whatever, um, you're not going to get in, your Mac isn't going to get infected with ransomware that way. What's going to what's going to infect your ransomware or infect your Mac with ransomware is you go to a website and it says, "Hey, download this, uh, you know, download this video player, or you know, download this audio player, or whatever," um, and you'll download it to attempt to install it, and um, it will, um, and that will be the ransomware. Hmm. Um, so that makes it a lot harder for developers, and and Apple does a really good job of, and has gotten a better, better and better at. You know, putting in a lot of, are you really sure you want to execute mm-hmm. this uh, 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 type warnings um, for these files? Um, now, don't get me wrong. Microsoft is also doing some incredible work. And, and you're absolutely right. So ransomware has to always do two things. It has to get a list of all the files on the system, and it has to call certain APIs to do the encryption. It, 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 that's the only way that it can work. Um, you know, I say that and somebody will come up with a new way of doing <laughs> that nobody's ever thought of. But as of right now, every strain of ransomware we've ever seen has to do those two things. So ransomware, uh, which is a great product, as you point out, um, looks for a, a, a application that is trying to list all the files and is trying to call, call the, uh, the Microsoft cryptography APIs. Um, and when it detects those two things, 
it can stop it and it can stop it before it starts encrypting any files. So it can kill the process before it gets to do any damage. Awesome. Okay. Um, so if I do somehow manage to get infected, I, I, I mess up or what, you know, it, I hate to blame the victim, uh, cause there's so many ways that this could happen. And, right. uh, so, but okay. So I managed to get infected. I get the dreaded pop-up that says you must pay or you don't get your file back. Is there, is there anything I can do short of paying the ransom? It depends on the ransomware. Um, there's a great site called no more ransomware.com or no more ransom.com. Um, yep. um dot org actually, I believe. Yep. Dot org. Yeah, .org. Sorry, thank you. Um, you upload a one of your files that was encrypted. They tell you what kind of uh, ransomware it is and whether or not the encryption has been broken. So you got to remember, these bad guys aren't professional developers. <laughs> they make a lot of mistakes, especially in the early iterations of their ransomware. So you have a whole security community that's finding these, picking these uh, uh, ransomware uh, uh, variants apart, and looking for flaws in the encryption so that you can, they can automatically decrypt the files. Um, you know, and sometimes it could be as simple as uh, they, they, they called the library wrong or they embedded the both keys mm -hmm. into the system, which we see a lot of. And so that's the first thing I would do is say, hey, is this file, um, and, and, you know, is this something that you know, the encryption has been broken on? Yes, fantastic. All your files are unencrypted and you've learned a lesson and didn't have to pay any money. Um, this doesn't always work, but I've had this work more times than um, it probably should. Um, if you uh, get – if it turns out that you can't decrypt the ransomware, often the bad guys will have chat rooms where you can go in and get support because they <laughs> yeah. want they want to make it easy for them to get your money. Um, I have had uh, a number of people that have been infected, and I'll go to those chat rooms and I'll say, hey, idiot, you um, encrypted my Bitcoin wallet. I need you to unencrypt it in order to get my money. And rather than unencrypt a single file, they'll give me the key to do the unencryption. <laughs> that, that key unencrypts everything. And then they'll just sit in the chat room for three or four days. Hey, when are you coming back to pay me my money? Um. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, I was I, I teach a class at Duke for it's a continuing edu class, education class, and then we were talking about ransomware. And I was telling them about that. I said it's hard to believe, but these some of these uh, ransomware guys have you know live human support systems. So because it's in their best interest to help you pay, <laughs> and it just it's just astounding with the lengths these guys go to. So yeah, that's funny. Um, all right, so. Flip side, I get infected and, I, and I, I, I don't pay or I can't pay. Then what? Am I just, am I done for it? Is there a, what's the, t how much time do I have to pay? And if I don't, then what? So most, most, most uh, ransomware uh, variants will put a time on it, you know, 72 hours or something like that. You can ignore that. They're not going to delete the files because they want your money more than they want to cause destruction. Um, but if you can't pay or you just don't want to pay and you don't have a backup, yeah, unfortunately, your best bet is to go to Geek Squad or your local computer vendor, have them wipe the system and reinstall, and unfortunately, you have to start from scratch. Um, now, not entirely from scratch because not every file on your system will be encrypted. It will be um, – but, but you won't have the ones that were encrypted anymore. They'll, they'll be gone. Right. 
So now I've got to ask this question. So let <laughs> you get infected, you do pay. Now, how likely are the are First of all, how likely you're actually get the key? So if you do pay, what's the likelihood that they're actually going to give you the key and to unlock your files in the first place? Second, if you, even if they do give you the key, your system's compromised, right? What's to stop them from, you know, two months from now deciding, eh, what's some more money out of this guy? Let's re-encrypt his files again and hit him up again. Oh, so um, it depends. The, the answer to the first question is it depends on the ransomware. Um, some of these teams are very professional. So again, we mentioned GanCrab in the beginning. Um, you know, these guys have been doing this for years. They're on their fifth iteration of the program. Um, you know, they've also, again, they're, they're the ones who made several million dollars last year from their uh, ransomware. They have a professional system set up to the point where they will offer tech support if there's a problem because they don't want to get a reputation as <laughs> um, you know not not recovering the files or not getting the files back even after you pay. Yeah, God forbid um, a, a hacker who has locked your system wouldn't want to be perceived as not being a good guy. Right, exactly. You want you don't want those Yelp reviews. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Uh, but a lot of the the newer, you know, and the sort of the the up and coming ransomware, no, I mean they're they're programmed lousily, um, with no checks in place, and it's kind of a crapshoot as to whether or not your files will actually be recovered. Um, you know, if they give you the key and you have a local support person that can help you out, if you've got a you know in town you have a, a computer repair person, often with the key. Those files can be recovered. It's just a very manual process um, to, to get it done. Um, but sometimes even then it can't. If they've, done, if they've poorly implemented the encryption libraries or whatever, it, 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 it can be a mess. So, you know, one of the things I tell people is if whenever possible, it's better not to pay. Now, sometimes you have to. Um, some, sometimes you don't have any choice, especially in a business where those files are critical. Um, you may not have any choice, and I understand that from a business perspective. If at all possible, try not to. And then if you do pay, back up your files, wipe your system, reinstall, and make sure you keep everything up to date. That's the only way you're going to ensure that you're, they're not going to be able to hit you again. All right. So again, since most, most of my audience, I assume is not super technical. If this happens and they say, and first of all, a, they say, okay, I need to go, I need you to pay me in Bitcoin. That That's an immediate problem for most people because they, they, if they, even if they know what Bitcoin is, they have no idea how to, how to get a hold of Bitcoin or, and then transfer Bitcoin. And then, yeah. and then assuming they get through that, how hard is it to decrypt your files? I mean, do they send you a nice little app? That, that, that just goes and undoes everything for you? Or there's some you know beleaguering process you must go through once you get the key to recover your files, which an, a non-technical person would not be able to do? Right. So it, it, to answer the first question, um, the good news is most of them have tutorials on <laughs> how to get Bitcoin. And, you know, and some of them even get kit, kickbacks from the, um, you know, f f from the exchange service that they recommend. <laughs> Um, so they'll, they'll get a couple bucks every time you use their exchange service on top of the ransom. So, you know, yay. Um, um, you know, so, so they'll, here's what you need to do and you need to understand this is going to take a week. Um, you know, because generally speaking, you have to transfer money to, you have to create the account on the exchange. You have to transfer money. Um, 
They're going to hold that for 72 hours to make sure it clears. Um, and then you can use that to buy Bitcoin. That may take 24 hours before the Bitcoin shows up into your account. And then you will then send it to their Bitcoin wallet from your Bitcoin wallet. Um, so that whole process could take a week. So if you have a file that you need immediately, unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen. Um, and, and and then, yes, the, what they'll do is they'll they'll either as part of the ransomware itself, they'll have a, a second executable that you click on, put the key in and unencrypts the files for you or they will send you an executable that uh, you that 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 has everything you need and you just click on that executable and it unencrypts everything so should you contact the authorities that this happens and if so like local authorities do you contact the FBI what what else might you want to do in response to this so unfortunately if you're a home user probably not local authorities aren't going to be able to do anything and the FBI's over the, the cybercrime unit of the FBI or the Secret Service is overwhelmed with with these kind of requests. So they're not really going to be able to help you. Um, uh, you know, un unfortunately, that's just the reality of the situation. If you're a business um, or like a local government or healthcare or, or something like that. Yes, you definitely want to call start with the local authorities and let them decide who they're going to bring in. Um, because they will take the time to do that. And the money that we're talking about, you know, the 50 to $150,000 ransom, that's, that's something that the FBI does want to be involved in versus a $300 or $500 ransom. Gotcha. All right. So thank you so much. Uh, uh, one more question before we go. Um, and that is, how do you see this going from here? What, what's, what are the trends where this, where does this go from here? Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? Uh, are the tactics kind of shifting Are the targets shifting? What, what's, what's kind of your prediction of the, of the near future for ransomware? Every year, my, my company asked me to write a, uh, a, a trends in ransomware in January and every year I'm wrong. So <laughs> I, I almost hate to make predictions. The way it seems to go right now is more and more of the, Actors behind the ransomware campaigns are moving away from the consumer market because there's much less return on investment there right now. There are fewer and fewer people that are being successfully infected and even fewer of those who are paying. Um, so we're seeing more of a move to uh, to the consumer to, to small businesses and to medium-sized businesses and especially healthcare, small governments and ports, things like that. All right, Alan, well, thank you so much. That was very informative, and uh, hopefully none of our audience ever gets infected, but if they do, uh, we've got some great resources there uh, to help them out. Um, thanks for coming on, and thanks for talking to us. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a really great experience, and uh, hopefully some useful information for your listeners. And again, thank you. I want to thank Alan Liska once again for coming on the show. That was a great interview. Some really informative stuff there. I know it got a little bit technical in there, uh, but it's kind of hard not to get technical when you're talking about things like this. So uh, he still gave some really great advice about uh, how to protect yourself. Obviously, you're looking for, you know, the common way to get infected with any kind of malware, not just ransomware, is through bad clicks. Somebody sends you off to a website that's that, that's bad and it causes you to download uh, some files or some uh, some malware 
or you get an unexpected document from someone, and it could be somebody that you know. And it, it's, it's key to understand that if someone's email account gets hacked, then the bad guys could be using their email account to send you things. So if somebody you know sends you a kind of odd email saying, oh, hey, this is really cool. Check this out. You know, download this file or click this link. And it's like, that doesn't sound like my friend or that doesn't sound like, you know, my brother or whatever. Uh, be aware that it might not be. So, <laughs> you know, this is the age we live in where you can't, you can't just trust it because it comes from the email account of somebody you know. So just be careful. And generally speaking, you know, don't be clicking on links, opening documents or things that you didn't specifically request and that you were not specifically expecting. So uh, take that as one as one way to protect yourself. And Alan recommended uh, antivirus software as well. Uh, we've gone back and forth on that on, on this show. Uh, personally, I, I tend to lean toward going for the, the freeware stuff that you can get from Microsoft, like uh, Microsoft Security Essentials or uh, Microsoft Defender, I think is what it's called now. Uh, and Apple has, you know, they don't tout it much. There are some protections built into a Mac OS already, but you can also look for things like Sophos or Avira, uh, and some of these others that have free home versions that, that are probably sufficient for what most people need. If you really want to kick up a notch, uh, as Alan said, you can, you know, go to McAfee and uh, Norton and some of these other companies that have a for pay subscription type service. It's really hard to say uh, what's going to protect you. It's, it's kind of like buying insurance. It, you hope you never need it. Um, and that one weird case when you do, it was totally worth it. And if you never, ever use it, you think, why did I get that? Well, you're getting it for that one case where it might have helped you. Also, there are, you know, Microsoft and Apple are starting to build in protections into the operating system. So you want to keep up to date on those as much as you can, uh, because they're always adding new features. And Microsoft Windows 10, for example, has got this protected folder feature where only certain approved applications can modify, let's say, your documents or your images. And theoretically, that should protect it from ransomware uh, if you've got that enabled. So I strongly uh, encourage you to enable these kind of security features as they come out. I also have a link in the show notes for the uh, application called Ransomware. That's uh, Ransom, W-H-E-R-E, -E, question mark. I think that's the question mark is actually in the name. Ransomware by Patrick Wardle, who is, uh, has been on the show previously. We've interviewed Patrick, uh, a, a Mac security guy. And it's a really, um, he's got some great tools on his website called Objective-C. That's Objective-S-E-E. -E. Uh, you might take a look at some of those as well. And one more thing before we go, uh, if you've been a long time podcast listener, you know, that kind of my mission, uh, my campaign is to inoculate as many people as possible. It's sort of a herd immunity thing, right? The more of us that, that follow some very basic security, uh, practices, the safer we all are, even for the people that don't actually do those things. The more, the more people that are inoculated, uh, against some of these more common, you know, digital threats, the safer we all are because these things spread. And uh, so if, if most of us are immune uh, or resistant even to, uh, to, to, to being infected by these, uh, this, this malware, that makes us all safer. So if you'd like to join me on my mission and help things out, uh, I'm asking two things. First of all, uh, recommend the podcast to other people, to other people you think might like the show uh, or the book or maybe the newsletter or the blog or even my Twitter feed, depending, yeah, I've got all the bases covered, depending on how you like to consume your information. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your tell your tell your family. Um, if you're in a position where you can uh, use social media to reach an even broader audience, I would very much appreciate sharing it there as well. 
And second of all, if you would like to uh, more directly contribute to the cause, uh, please check out my website on patreon.com. My campaign page there, you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and just search on Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You'll find it there, uh, and you'll get uh, all the information uh, about my campaign there. And if you'd like to directly contribute, that is the place. Okay, thank you very much for listening. And uh, once again, thanks to Alan Liska for coming on. That was a great interview. Next week, we'll probably have another news show, and maybe by then I'll have some more information on this whole Chinese chip spying thing. Uh, and, and I'm sure there will be other things in the news to talk about as well. All right. Uh, take care, everybody. And as always, don't get caught with your garbage down. Bye.